What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or listening wherever you get your podcast. But if you are on YouTube, do us a favor, hit that like and subscribe button. Today on the show, we are going to talk with WWE superstar Angelo Dawkins about his Ohio State Buckeyes and what he expects from them in the Rose Bowl. We're also going to talk about Portal Combat, where we've seen quarterback after quarterback go into the transfer portal and come out at somewhere else entirely. And we're going to talk about Travis Hunter, Jackson State, and Florida A&M, and this very cool week that HBCU football had. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. And I am joined by WWE superstar and one half of the Street Profits, my man, Angelo Dawkins, who is a massive Ohio State Buckeyes fan, man. How you doing over there jamming? Oh, man, I'm doing good. How about yourself, man? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I really appreciate this. I've been excited about this, and I want to get started with this. Let's, let's, let introduce, let's introduce you to this college football audience. First, how long have you been working in sports entertainment? Uh, how'd you get started? Uh, so I've been working in sports entertainment since 2012. Uh, so I got recruited out of college. I wrestled in college. I played football at college as well, Harper College. And um, so I got recruited at a wrestling tournament by Jerry Briscoe. He wanted to talk to me. I thought my coaches were joking around with me when they told me, hey, Vince's right-hand man wants to come talk to you, and I'm getting ready for a match, too. And I'm just like, all right, man, whatever, get out of here. And uh, so, like, they're trying to, like, convince me because they always be trying to play jokes on everybody. And they were pretty big pranksters. So then I wrestle, I win. I'm coming back. I'm breathing hard. Next thing you know, Jerry Briscoe's right next to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Jerry Briscoe from WWE. I was like, oh, snap. Y'all not lying. Okay, cool, cool. But yeah, like, I mean, that's pretty much how, like, he ended up getting me a tryout. And then I just never looked back from there. Nah, man, that's, that's real cool because I got to, I got to wonder, right? Like, what else is it that you think they're thinking about? Because one of the things that I think you're great at is being on the mic, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you can't see that from your ability. You got to talk to you for that. So are you cognizant of that? Are you cognizant that he's trying to get your cadence down? Uh, in a way, in mm-hmm. a way. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting sometimes because nobody can, like, nobody expects that from me. And I just, like, I hide it pretty well. So, like, and also I have a tag partner that talks a lot. He's just always out there all the time. So I'm, like the laid back one. And that's what helps our dynamics so much. Cause you can't really have two crazy out, th- like out there in your face type guys. I'm more of the like laid back. I-, I represent the guys that are like rock house shoes and sweatpants out. You know what I'm saying? He's the guy that'll rock a tuxedo to McDonald's when we just going to grab a burger or something. Yeah, man, your man Montez Ford, he be out there. He he, he got the mic skills though. I give him that. He yeah. got the mic skills. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So, do you remember the match where it felt like you and Montez got over with the WWE audience? Oh, uh, man. Um, I have to say Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, 2019, when we faced Murphy and Seth Rollins for the Raw Tag Team Championships. So and, uh, what was the reception like? Like, Oh, man, uh, it was it was nuts because like we wrestled in Brooklyn, uh, I believe the year before. And this was like while we were in NXT as well. 
So we wrestled there before, and it was like right before uh, NXT Takeover, one of NXT's pay per views. And uh, so like we wrestled right before, and the crowd was pretty receptive. But then like fast forward in a full year later, pretty much we're there, we're in the spotlight, we're going for the tag titles, and Brooklyn was just behind us. And like it literally like Tez started. We had a promo right before the match. And the very first thing that came out of Tez's mouth was where Brooklyn at, where Brooklyn at. And then they started going nuts. And then they just been with us from ever since then. It was just like, oh, snap, we got these dudes. Nah, man. Hey, look, when the heat is like that from the crowd, I got to feel like you, you're going to give one of your best performances, whether you know it or not. Oh, yeah. How did you feel when you got back to the locker room? Oh, man, I felt relieved. I felt pumped. I- I almost wanted to go back out there and wrestle again. Like it was, it was like that. Like that's, that's what the crowd noise and crowd energy brings. Like it just brings that adrenaline out of you, brings that emotion out of you, brings that. All right, we got, we got to put on the show, man. They behind us, bro. We got to, we got to go out there and we got to handle business and uh, do our thing. Cause if we don't and they behind us, man, it's going to be a rough one. But like, if we go out there and we show out, you know what I'm saying? Like we capable of and, the crowd was with us the whole time. The crowd went nuts because we ended up winning that match and we ended up becoming Raw Tag Team Champions that day. And uh, they were just nuts. And it was just like, man, they go, I could go back out there and wrestle again. Like, that's how that's how live it was that day. Man, I'm, I'm going a, I'm to a go ahead and say it. I think that's as close to the atmosphere at the shoe as it's probably going to be when it feels that hype. Have you been to a game at the shoe? Yes, I have. Okay, uh, do you remember the first game that you saw at the shoe? So the fir- the very first game um I remember going to the shoe was uh Michigan State 2007-2008 season where Beanie Welsh rushed for 222 yards. And uh it was actually it was actually a game that we were dominating and Michigan State almost came back and we were like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. We had to play trussle ball dot dot that out with Beanie Wells real quick like, "Hey, dog, let's keep handing that ball off real quick." Let's not get too pretty because Michigan State was starting to come back on us. Man, shout out Beanie Wells, a friend of the show. I got to meet him before, well, this game that I got to bring up for Ohio State-Michigan this year. Yeah. I, yeah. I, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get this one out the way. What do you expect from, from Michigan in the Orange Bowl against Georgia? I mean, quite honestly, you know, if, if I'm going to be very unbiased right now, unbiased me uh i'll say i i think it's going to be a great game uh because you got georgia coming off his first loss when everybody thought they were going to dominate bama and nick saban came out and said man that rat poison y'all gave out was yummy but now now we get to see georgia be a little bit more motivated now but the uh qb situation between both of them uh, Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. That's going to be interesting to see who uh, takes over at center. But I think like Aiden Hutchinson, like he, he's he's going to be a dude off the edge. And it's going to be very interesting to watch the defense. And it's going to be very interesting to see uh, Georgia's defense and see how they contain Haskins and Corum um, and all those dudes on, on the line because their line was – they were pushing Ohio State around. I, I can't even lie. <laughs> Well, hey, look, I, I keep trying to tell people, you know, Michigan ain't got no Bryce Young back there. Like, much right. as we like JJ and we like Cade, that ain't that dude won the Heisman Trophy is different. And he right. showed that against a team that we all did think was going to dominate Alabama. We thought that Georgia was going to stop a mud hole and walk it dry. But right. 
I got, I got it. I got to take it back again. I got to take it back. How did you feel watching Michigan run on Ohio State when we all knew that they were going to try to run the ball on Ohio State? Well, you know, I kind of felt like my belief going into the game, I'm like, okay, our defense kind of woke up a little bit since the Oregon game. So I'm right. like, okay, okay, we gradually were getting better each and every week. And then we started putting on dominating performances. Our offense was clicking. But I knew it was going to be a day where, like, all right, we're going to really need the defense. And then once it starts snowing, I was like, this is going to be very interesting to see. And sure enough, because anytime Harborough's tried to run the ball, we've been able to, like, that was a non-worry for us, like, for Ohio State at all. The front seven, unreal. Our DBs, even, even more unreal. But to see that happen, it was it was it was hurtful because I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of people waiting at the show that day for me because we had a live event. So <laughs> and then not only that, like we have a camera guy who's a big big team up north fan, you know. And uh, so we make a bet every year, like all right, yo, like we'll get a we'll get like a drink or something and put it on. Uh, we're like all right, who, whoever loses got to pay up, freaking. For the first time in in a while, I had to pay up. And then I had to rock a stinking Michigan jersey for the whole day while we were at Raw. And, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the uh, first time I ever experienced that uh, in, a, in a long time, you know? It no, was, man, it was, I, it's been since 2011. Like, we've been talking about this. It, and on my end, right, I'm go ahead and commiserate. I, I expect Oklahoma State to beat Oklahoma. Like, we, we run that. Like, it's right. It's not even a rivalry. It's a series. At least y'all got right. something like a rivalry. Like, you can remember well, stretches when Michigan was good. I can't remember right. those stretches where Oklahoma I State mean, was good. Don't don't get me wrong. Okay, Michigan in the 90s, they were all right. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and now, like, this year happened. They beat Ohio State. They got their chest out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? They saying they arrived. Now we're all, all of a sudden hearing that – Michigan is the winningest program in college football history. And, 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 and you know what? They are right. I always say a dead clock is right twice a day. They just so happen to be right twice in a decade, you know? And uh, that's, that's what makes it good. It kind of feels like a rivalry again because, like, now they have a win where they can brag about that wasn't when pterodactyls roamed the sky, you know? <laughs> When Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth weren't powerhouses, you know what I'm saying? When the very first Heisman Trophy winner wasn't from Chicago, the University of Chicago, you know? So, like, now, now, like, now it's starting to get, like, okay, now, now we can kind of talk back to each other a little bit. But last time they won, they kept saying they were back. And what happened? The following years to come. It's going to happen because now everybody's talking smack. You know, Jim Harborough throwing out those little shots. Josh Gaddis throwing out those little shots. Little do they know, Ryan Day cooking up something right now. You know what I'm saying? Ryan Day is cooking. He's in the lab cooking right now. Yeah, he's worried about the Rose Bowl, but he is cooking. No, man, November hey, matchup. Look, man, I, I'm, I keep trying to tell folks over and over again, like, they'll be back. And if, not, if nothing else, they're going to use the Rose Bowl as a launching pad. And I want to I want to talk about that specifically. It's a good Utah football team over there, right? There are already rumors about whether or not Kyle Whittingham is going to come back for 2022. So they might be a little bit more gassed up than normal. What do you expect from Ohio State in that game? I expect them to come out and play good old, nice, lovely Buckeye football. You know, get that taste of that loss out their mouth. You know what I'm saying? I know that it's hard. 
it ain't the college football playoff. And like now the those big bowl games that used to kind of mean something about like six six years ago don't really have that much cachet to them now due to the playoff. Mm-hmm. But since it's the Rose Bowl, it's still one of the pageantries of college football. And everybody knows it. And everybody's going to be watching it. And if Utah has that kind of motivation, I mean, you got to remember, Ohio State had that kind of motivation last time they were in the Rose Bowl when Urban was leaving. So, I mean, hey, you never know. So, hopefully Ohio State comes out, punches them in the mouth, and then Utah just says, hey, hey, we quit. We good. We good. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, it's been real cool cutting him. You know what I'm saying? It's been real good, man. Hey, thank you. Thank you. OH, IO, baby. Yeah. Well, hey, look, you a native Ohioan, right? Mm-hmm. And you growing up a Buckeyes fan, so I feel like you have a good answer for this. Uh, being we're about the same age too, like, who's your favorite Buckeye of all time? Ooh, man, that is a tough question. If I gotta go, I'm gonna go with an answer that like, cause I'm gonna go with when I could finally actually comprehend football enough to like, cause I was playing it at the time. I got to go Troy Smith It's between Troy Smith and Ted Ginn. And it's between Ted Ginn, Troy Smith, Gonzo and Santonio Holmes. Oh man. Look, I'm with, I'm with all of those. Not the least of which is the last Heisman winner that Ohio Ooh. state had man. My, my man, your man, uh, Troy Smith, but also in there, like you tried to sneak it past me in that Centennial Holmes, dude was cold. Like man, he was man, he was so good. I was hoping that I was hoping that he didn't leave early and came back, and it would it would have been the same thing that we had with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigma. You got uh, Gonzo, Ginn, and Santonio Holmes in the back, and then not only that, you also had Brian Hartline on the team, Brian Rubisky. Like man, it was Antonio Pittman and uh, Beanie Wells toting the rock with Troy Smith right there. Mm. Hey man, I was I was sleeping on Heartline for the longest time. I've been like, this dude. Yeah. Then he he tried to show me what he was doing. Now he's really trying to show me what he's up to as a receivers coach. Like for me. Oh, he in his bag. Man, right? All right. So let's let's lay it out here, right? You got Mm -hmm. Olave, you got Wilson, you got JSN, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. This is the best receiving core that Ohio State has ever produced, and that's not saying a lot in the grand scheme of things because it's been a running football program for so long. But then when you look at the records that they have been breaking and the chance for all three of those dudes to go over a 1,000 yards, did you expect to ever see an aerial attack, the likes of which C.J. Stroud, even throw in Travion Henderson in there with those three? Right. Man, honestly, not really because, you, man, they were so run heavy. It wasn't even funny. And then there was a point in time where, like, it was they were struggling to get the ball through the air. And I remember, like, the years of, like, Marius Clorat, his freshman year, like, when he went down, and we still had Mike Jenkins, obviously, but then we had, like, Chris Gamble, the ultimate Ironman football player for Ohio State that year. Um, but, like, to see that offense and, like, that aerial attack plus a rushing attack with the quarterback like that, that's honestly, I'll say, like, since Terry Glenn, Demetrius Stanley, and David Boston, I believe, and like outside of Troy Smith again and Gonzo, but like you, we've had the talent. It's just like never really been like, oh, okay, cool. Let's let's just use all of them. Usually, it's like 
everybody's good, but usually it's like one or two dudes that kind of is like the head honcho. Like, for instance, you'll drop back, hand it off to uh, Maurice Claret, and then you'll have Mike Jenkins. That'll be like your two main guys that you're going to feed. Now it's like they're spreading the wealth here. Because not only that, like you got a bunch of other receivers that are about to get in next year probably. And it's just like that whole receiving room is deep. That running back room is nasty. The quarterbacks, they're young. They're coming back next year. It's going to be – the offense is nasty, man. Yeah, man, and y'all made a change in defensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Actually picked up Oklahoma State's former defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles, try to get that defense back to the kind that you had in 2019 with Jeff Halfley. But watching the Heisman Trophy presentation and seeing C.J. Stroud be there after knowing what the battle was, you had Quinn Ewers back there in that depth chart. Kyle McCord yep. is going to be back. Jack Miller since transferred to Florida. Yep. Did you expect CJ to be as good as he has been this season, especially the way that it started against Minnesota? Uh, I, I didn't expect the numbers that he had, but I thought he was going to be pretty decent. I thought he was going to be pretty good. I mean, you got to remember Ryan Day is a QB wizard, man. He's a, he's a guru back there. He was brought in to Ohio State to change the passing game when we were having a little struggles with JT Barrett. And he turned JT Barrett into a pretty persistent passer as well. And, uh, but man, like, I was like, ah, he didn't throw a college pass last year. So it's going to be very interesting. But like, like I said, we got the receivers to like get him through that easy, quick throws to start it off. He got a little rough. Like it was a Thursday night game against a conference foe. Like that's going to happen, especially for a 19 year old that hasn't really thrown. And everybody thought like, oh, he can't run. Well, people forget homeboy went for like a 52 yarder against Michigan state last year. I mean, in, even in the game, he had like a nice little scramble for a TD. It came back because of a questionable holding call, but he still like, he ran when he needed to. And like, he's a quarterback. He's trying to find the open man. The less time, the less he had to run the better. I like Justin Fields. I love JT Barrett. I love Braxton Miller. I loved all those dudes, but like Dwayne Haskins was unreal, but he wasn't a runner. He started to run a little bit towards the end. CJ Stroud, the same thing. Like he was, he was waiting till the possible last minutes. If he had to run, all right, cool. He was going to take it and he gained yards off of it. But looking the way that he played with poise, with the poise that he had was unreal, man. Like he, I thought he was going to be really good Heisman finalist. I really wasn't expecting it, but I thought he was going to be good regardless. No, man, I've been a, a CJ Stroud fan from the jump. Just his story is one that I really enjoy, right? Just the way that he rose through recruiting, going through Elite 11, and eventually yep. landing that offer from Ryan Day and Ohio State. But it's also, speaking of what you already know about Ryan Day and being aggressive and pushing that ball down the field and wanting – to score and to use those receivers in the ways that they have, but also his ability to marry it with the run game. Now, another yeah. dude that I was extremely excited about coming into this year was Travion Henderson. I kept trying to yell to everybody, this dude from Hopewell, Virginia. Yeah. He, he, he's elite. He's some version of Christian McCaffrey to me, but I don't know yeah. if that's selling him short or overselling it. You tell me, which is it? Uh, I mean, so I've heard between Christian McCaffrey and Reggie Bush. Mm. So, and it was like, I remember uh, you talked to you talked to Big E before, and me and Big E we always like talking. And I was like, man, they keep saying uh, Travion. I was like, Reggie. He's like, whoa, let's like let's calm down. You know what I'm saying? Let's calm down. He's still a freshman. I get it. He's good. He's highly touted. I know he sat out, or I think he got injured his senior year of high school, if I'm not mistaken. 
And he that's why out. he ended up. Yeah, he, he sat, sat out. out. Okay. I thought he, okay, he sat they out. Canceled, so. They canceled high school football in Virginia that year. Okay, okay, cool. But, like, yeah, and like, it took him a little bit to get his legs under him, even though he, like, darted for a 77-yard screen in that Minnesota game. But <laughs> it, it still took him a little bit to, like, oh, man, I haven't played ball in a year. Like, I got to still get my legs under me because Mayan Williams, he showed he can run the rock. He's a Cincinnati kid, too. So, like, I know all about him. And he showed that he can run the rock with behind Trey Sermon and Master Teague last year. And he was starting off as a starter this year. And they had Master Teague. And I was like, I got a feeling they're going to use Travion in the pass game. And lo and behold, Travion became an all-purpose back. Hey, <laughs> that, man, look. That man is. He, he, he is doing things that I didn't expect anybody to be able to do at Ohio State as a true freshman. Just is just. No. Nah, you know, as a, as a running back. Maurice Clorette's freshman record, right? Is I'm so excited to see what he is capable of doing, uh, given just two more years of being in the system and being the dude that is seven and a half yards deep. No disrespect to, to Mayan or to Evan or any of those dudes. Even yeah. Master, who I thought was going to be the starter going into this year, shows you just how talented they are. But yeah. you mentioned Cincinnati, kid, and you are from Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to ask you, dog. What do you think about the Bearcats being in this playoff? Represent for the G5. You got two I mean, teams here. Hey, hey, look, they there. They better show out. I mean, hey, look, this is – I'm torn because, like, all right, cool. Now Cincinnati Bearcat fans are talking about we the real Ohio team in Ohio. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump <laughs> your brakes. Pump your brakes. Like, hey, I'm happy for y'all, but let's pump our brakes. We know who really run Ohio, even though I'm from Cincinnati. I got a love for the Bearcats. I have friends that played ball for Cincinnati. So, like, it's I'm, – I'm happy for them. I'm rooting against – I'm rooting – not rooting against. I'm rooting for them to beat Bam. I hope they show out because, like, I feel like they do need to kind of expand the playoff to allow those, like, group of five teams to get in and have a chance at least because, like, you got to reward the undefeated season. You know what I'm saying? If they, especially if they go undefeated, back-to-back conference champs. What they on a like 24 game win streak? Oh no, they lost to Georgia in the bowl game. Lost so, Georgia wow. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. What was it? They're on a 12 game winning streak. So like they lost. I mean, they won 24 out of 25. But see, the this is the thing. Year. I would, I would, I would help you out with this. Take it back to the regular season. The last mm-hmm. time they lost a regular season game is November 29, 2019. Okay. That to UCF? Uh, ooh, no, that was Memphis. 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 Ah. Right, because then they get into the championship game against Memphis because they, they ran it back, right? Now, I, yep. I mean, ain't no, I, like, who's, who's going to know that except the dude that's watching college football games all the time? <laughs> like, do not beat yourself up for that. Why would you even need to know that? I'm saying. I was like, that. ah, man. I was like, ah, it was one of those teams. <laughs> oh, I, but no, like. I think it also speaks to the quality of football because, you know, Lou Fickle has been loud about this as well. Uh, he was the position coach for, for Coach Trestle, right? Had that yeah. year where he settled the team, got it right for that undefeated run in 2012 for Urban and whatnot. And then yeah. Marcus Freeman, new head coach at Notre Dame. I mean, it, you got tentacles all over the sport now and in big-time situations. I mean, shout-out to Luke Fickle, who also won the Coach of the Year award. I got to ask you. Which of that Ohio State staff are you most coveting outside of Ryan Day? Like, who on the staff are you like, we can't let this dude go nowhere? Ooh. Man. If I had to, 
I'm gonna say Brian Hartline. Mm. Um and man, it's a mix between Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs for recruiting. Because Kerry Combs is like he he gets those guys. Like he he something about his energy is nuts. Like I was at Fair, I played at Fairfield while he was still at Colerain High School. So he was the head coach there. And I seen like his energy and he's just unreal and kids gravitate to it, man. Like I feel like those are especially the guys that can recruit really well and they can develop players really well. You can't let those guys go by any means. I'll even say Tony Alfred too. You know what I'm saying? Cause like he recruits too, he recruits very well and he turns them into beasts. Turns them into dogs. Man, look, I, I got to say, uh, what Larry Johnson decides to recruit and develop is anybody that I want in the NFL, right? So, like, I'm with you. I could also see Brian Hartline, who it looks like is going to put two wide receivers in the first round of the NFL draft for the first time since 2007 Ohio State. And I don't know if you know this, but y'all haven't had a first-round draft pick at wide receiver since 2007. Yeah. And that's long enough ago that Anthony Gonzalez is like a congressman now. You yeah. know, like he was one of them dudes. So yeah. y'all are due. Like everybody's like Marco Thomas. I'm like, nah, he actually, he didn't he get drafted. Second that or either. third round. Yeah, right. So it's it's wild for me to think about it in those terms. Um, all right, man. I, I got one more question for you before I let you get out of here. Tell me what is going down on January 1st of this year. Or this January new year. January 1st, day one. You know what I'm saying? WWE day one. You know what I'm saying? You're going to see a lot, a lot of superstars. We in the ATL bringing in the new year, right? You know what I'm saying? You got Migos in attendance there. You know what I'm saying? You, you might see Migos with your boys. You never know. You know what I'm saying? You you, you, you know what I'm saying? Hey, yo, Quavo, what's good, fam? I'm saying you know that. I'm saying? Oh, what's good? You know what I'm saying? But yeah, like, day one is happening. Got a bunch of matches on there. A lot of, a lot of superstars that's about to show out. Show what they can do, bring in 2022 the right way, the best way possible. And that's in the squared circle, doing what we do best, putting on the show and bringing the smoke. Hey, man, hey, offset, Migos, show up with a red solo cup or we rioting, okay? That's what I'm Women. telling you. He's <laughs> just telling you. Women. This man here. <laughs> that is my man, Angelo Dawkins, WWE superstar, one half of the Street Profits. My man. I've had such a good time with you. I'm so grateful that you did this with us. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Right on, dog. Yo, was that not fun? Like, for real. Shout out to my man, Angelo Dawkins, for joining the show, being a fan of the show. I'm a huge fan of Street Profits, The New Day, Big E, Kofi, the whole crew, Xavier Woods, Montez Ford. You know how we do. They actually going to have Raw here in Tulsa. I'm very excited about that. Check out day one. Man. That was refreshing. All right. You know what else is going to be refreshing? What QB you got in the transfer portal? In a little segment that I like to call Portal Combat. You know, like Luke Hang with the fireball and the bicycle kick. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know, get over here. We're not even going to talk about that movie that was trash. Anyway, Ohio State quarterback, Quinn Ewers, ends up committing to University of Texas. Now, this happened a little bit earlier in the college football season, but Ewers is exactly what Texas wants. He is the former number one overall recruit 
in the country, the class 2022. You'll know that he reclassified to go to Ohio State, right? Was on the depth chart, even took a snap in the game. Never threw the ball or anything. But Texas is getting exactly what they want. They're getting a native Texan who is far and away one of the best high school football recruits of the last 20 years. This is not according to me. This is according to the composite rankings, which also had him in line with guys like Jadavion Clowney and Vince Young, right? And above guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And we know what they meant to the sport. Now, add that to B. John Robinson and Xavier Worthy with Steve Sarkeesian's ability to scheme, and you could have something special down there at the University of Texas. Also, such a move that was great enough to force Casey Thompson into the transport portal where it feels like he's going to be a fit for Texas Christian. Now, Texas Christian also got a new head coach with Gary Patterson choosing to step down from his post. Sonny Dykes is a new man over there. I'm excited to see what Texas Christian might look like. But again, to this point about Quinn Ewers, you'll know one of the reasons he decided to enroll early was so that he could take advantage of an NIL deal that was worth seven figures to him and some equity in a company. And for those of y'all that are grown like me, you think of equity in the way that you feel like your home. It's something that appreciation value is part of who you are. It's part of what you grow into. It's generational wealth, right? It's how you build wealth in well, the society that we have today. So they had a law in Texas that said that high school players could not engage in NIL deals, to which we all were like, wait a second. First of all, Texas is a business economy. Why are you limiting business? And second of all, hey, man, if he could reclassify and he graduate early, he can go to Ohio State. What's Ryan Day in Ohio State going to say? No, we don't want the number one player in the country for the class of 2022. No, they're going to take him. And especially not knowing exactly what you have in C.J. Stroud. Or for that matter, Kyle McCord or Jack Miller, right? Who we'll talk to. But if Quinn Ewers decided, let's say, allegedly, no, let me go about this another way. If the choice was between enrolling early at Ohio State and securing the bag or playing another year of high school football, sands the bag, what you think you going to do? You better, you better get the bag. You, I don't understand why this is such a controversial take here. Because it's not. It's, it's lukewarm. Like, it's not even the hottest take. It's just, no, secure the bag and then figure it out. That's what you do, right? So he gets to go into the portal. And by the way, he went into the portal after Devin Brown, class 2022 quarterback at a Canyon Corner, decided to commit to Ohio State. For those of y'all that heard Canyon Corner and understand that that's something different, it is. Canyon Corner produced Zach Wilson, Jackson Dart, who's at USC and former National Gatorade Player of the Year, right? And now Devin Brown. It is com becoming something of a quarterback cradle in high school football. So Devin Brown commits to Ohio State, and then a couple days later, Quinn Ewers is like, oh, okay, cool, no need for me to be here anymore because, A, C.J. Stroud was a Heisman finalist. <laughs> Good luck. And, you know, Jack Miller decided, hey, C.J. Stroud was a Heisman finalist. I should go into the portal as well. Hence, today, when we're recording this on Tuesday, Jack Miller committed to transfer to the University of Florida. I love this fit. Billy Napier. <laughs> Getting into his bag after having an introductory press conference that was pouring cold water on his idea of recruiting in 2022. And all he's done is secure five-star safety Kamari Wilson and former four-star and Ohio State quarterback Jack Miller. Jack Miller set two-way records for passing yards, for touchdown total, for 
touchdowns in a season. And people will forget, before Ryan Day knew a thing about C.J. Stroud, he had signed, or not signed, he had earned the commitment of Jack Miller. We thought Jack Miller was going to be in this space. And going into this off this past offseason, I was being harangued about who I thought was going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. And I kept telling people, I don't know. I don't know because Jack Miller's that good. Okay, so for that matter, so was true freshman in Colin McCord. But I thought this was really going to be a two-horse race between Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud. Ryan Day decided that C.J. Stroud had shown more and wanted to give him the opportunity to start, and he held on to the job. Jack Miller goes into the portal, comes out at a place where I think he's going to be outstanding, where I think he's going to be developed, where Billy Napier has an opportunity to really surprise some people in an SEC East that all of a sudden has gotten really interesting with the addition of dudes uh, like Spencer Rattler, we'll talk about in a second, at South Carolina. So I'm excited about this one. I love the fit, and I can't wait to see what he does as a Gator. Now, LSU needs to figure it out. Because right now, Brian Kelly, is he's learning how hard it is to, one, recruit to LSU if you are coming from nowhere, nowhere being Notre Dame, and two, to hold on to the talent that you had, right? Because LSU has seen its number two corner and perhaps the top corner in football next year as far as the 2023 draft goes in Eli Ricks commit to transfer to Alabama and seen its former starting quarterback, Max Johnson, commit to transfer to Texas A&M. And this one has a lot of implications here, right? So Max Johnson joins up with A&M at a time when it is signed the highest-ranked recruiting class in its history. And in February, if they secure the commitment of either Shamar Stewart or Harold Perkins, they could end up with the highest-ranked recruiting class of all time one year after Alabama set the record for the highest-ranked recruiting class of all time. And they're adding not just Max Johnson, but his little brother, Jake, who's bigger than Max. He's six foot five and like 250 at tight end. So you're getting a dude that knows who he's throwing to in the tight end after Jalen Weidemeyer ended up going to the NFL or electing to declare for the NFL draft. You have an opportunity to see Jake Johnson and Max Johnson in that starting job. But many of y'all will know Haynes King is returning from a season-ending injury when he was the starting quarterback at Texas A&M. Went down. Zach Calzada gets the job. Zach Calzada gets the win against Alabama. We still don't know where Zach Calzada is going to be. But this is an interesting note for me, getting back to the recruiting class. 50% of the top 100 with A&M, right, or signed with A&M. That's 15%. That's 15 players out of the top 100 signed with Texas A&M. That's ridiculous. I'm also interested in just what this means for the average ranking of the recruit, right, because it's not just the number. Because if they add Shamar Stewart or Harold Perkins, they're going to end up with 28 recruits. But what's the average of that recruit going to be? Last year, Alabama's average was about 94.99, so 95. Anything over 90 is excellent. Anything approaching 95 is, you know, Bruce Leroy metrics. When you reach that upper level, mind, body, and soul must be one. Yeah, you're getting closer to that. So we're already looking at Alabama's average this year, who's probably going to finish number two or number three. And they're at 95-1. So on average, they've already got a better class than A&M, and yet A&M can still fend up with the highest-ranked recruiting class in the sport ever. All while Max Johnson and Haynes King get to duel it out to see who they get to throw passes to on this ridiculous A&M team in 2022. This after Weidemeyer has gone into the draft. DeMar Neal has gone into the draft. Jalen Weidemeyer 
has gone into the draft, and Kenyon Green has all gone into the draft. You could still end up with an A&M team that on the whole is better than the one that played in 2021. And as much as we want to dunk on Jimbo Fisher, myself included, and make jokes about them signing them to a 10-year, $75 million contract, and then 10-year, like $95 million contract, he might be up to something in the SEC West. I don't know. Like the jokes are, he's going to have all that talent go like 9-3, but I don't know, man. Talent used to win out. And the thing to keep in mind about AM, and I don't mean to pour cold water on this AM fans, but I'm going to just say it. For you to have a football team like Georgia's or Alabama's this year, or Ohio State's for that matter, you're going to have to put three of these classes together. Not one, three. And this is a good way to get started. But you also lost Mike Elko, defense coordinator to Duke. He's the head coach. I'm saying you're beginning to look like a national championship team. You got some ways to go before you are a national championship team, obviously. All right. Moving on, Auburn's Bo Nix decided to transfer to Oregon. And usually, I have tried to affect in December a positive outlook on things, a yes-first look at things, man. Like, oh, no, this is cool. This is what I like about this. Nix, though, to Oregon just feels odd. It feels odd because it's like Dan Lanning, new head coach at Oregon, looked at Oregon fans and said, you guys don't like Anthony Brown? Cool, I'm going to give you the SEC version of Anthony Brown. No, that's not what they wanted. <laughs> what they wanted is a gunslinger. They wanted a dude that's going to throw the ball 40 times and go for 416 E's. That's what they wanted, right? Along with the dominating defense, like the one that they expect him to employ. But what's curious about Knicks and why this makes sense is first, Knicks is one of two five-star quarterbacks in the 2019 class. The other was Spencer Rattler, right? Both of those guys transferred. And when you're a five-star we expect you to come out in three years and be a first-round draft pick. That's what we expect. This 2019 class is underwhelmed. Even for the folks that thought that it wasn't going to be that great to begin with, right? It's still underwhelmed because those dudes we expected to come out in the draft obviously are not. They're transferring to different locations. But it makes sense to me that Bo Nix decided to transfer to Oregon because Dan Lenny hired Kenny Dillingham, who was the former Florida State offensive coordinator, to be his offensive coordinator. And they know each other. They didn't overlap at Arizona State, but they know each other. Kenny Dillingham was the offensive coordinator at Auburn for Bo Nix's freshman season, and they both together beat Justin Herbert, Mario Cristobal, and Oregon in the 2019 season opener. Nix had the game-winning pass on that, so it makes sense, right? You need a quarterback, go get a quarterback. What I'm really interested to see is whether or not Ty Thompson sticks around because Ty Thompson, true freshman quarterback at Oregon, was touted, at least on the Oregon website, as being the first five-star to sign with them, which I felt odd, but apparently that was that was true. And it's a five-star according to one service, but not the composite, right? So it's not really a five-star. He's a four-star. But I always looked at Ty Thompson as a dude that could sling it and that he never got a chance to sling it in 2021 and might not absolutely get a chance to sling it in 2022. I find that a little bit disconcerting because I just want to see the goods. So I'm not saying they're going to hand the starting job to Bo Nix. I am going to say they didn't recruit him to sit him. And I would really like to see Kenny Dillingham at least show us what Ty Thompson looks like. Because, as I understand it, the Oregon beat writers haven't even seen what Ty Thompson looks like. And maybe we get to see this in the Alamo Bowl, right? That's what I'm hoping. Perhaps Ty Thompson will show us something and then get the Casey Thompson bump that, you know, he got for the Alamo Bowl last year into the 2021 season. All right. The other part about that, and I'm just going to say it, Bo Nix to, to Oregon felt like Jacob Eason to Washington. 
You know, Jacob Eason was a quarterback at Georgia who transferred, and then it kind of underwhelmed and went from there. All right, last question I got in the transfer portal carousel as it relates to the quarterbacks and the portal combat. Who will be Nebraska's QB1 in September? All right, so Adrian Martinez went into the portal, came out of Kansas State, which means that the zone read is about to be my favorite book at Kansas State because he's going to have Deuce Vaughn in the backfield. And Deuce Vaughn is short king mama. Hey, like he was putting the old people this year. I'm excited to see them legs. You got two sets of legs out there. I can't wait to play. Now, and as far as throwing the ball around, we will wait and see how Chris Kleiman decides to adapt that. But Scott Frost is making some moves, right? Scott Frost went and hired former LSU wide receiver coach Mickey Joseph to be his wide receiver coach, and he brought with him Dakotas. Yes, he brought with him Dakotas to ever do it, Crawford. My man is from Shreveport, Louisiana, and his mama named him Dakotas to ever do it. Now, he's playing college football, he's playing college football in Nebraska, but there's a part of me that wants him to be a neurosurgeon. There's a part of me that wants him to be a veterinarian. There's a part of me that wants him to be a rocket scientist so that every room he walks into, no, I am Dakotas to ever do it. It's on my birth certificate. You can trust me to put these rockets on the moon. I'm going to take us to Mars because I'm Dakotas. I love this. Scott Frost signed Dakotas just days before winter. Winter is coming, Big Ten. I'm so excited about this, right? Now, the reason I want to know who Nebraska's QB1 is going to be is because if they get this right and they find themselves a gunslinger and they can run an offense similar to what LSU's looked like in 2019 with Justin Jefferson, with Jamar Chase, with Terrace Marshall, Nebraska's going to go for 50. Airy game. We're looking at Nebraska getting Oklahoma in Lincoln. I want that game to be high scoring. I know Brent Venables is a defense coach. I want that game to be high scoring. I want it to be high scoring because I want Nebraska to put the Big Ten on notice because Nebraska 2021 is the best three-win team of all time. <laughs> Sucks that they, they were losing all these close games to these really good teams. But also... The sport is better when Nebraska's good. I said this about Arkansas as well. College football is more fun when Nebraska's good. I would very much like to find out that Scott Frost has figured it out in Nebraska, runs through the Big Ten West, shows up to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game because that means that the experiment is working. All right. Now, let's talk about the HBCU. This is how we do all right, it's been a big week in black college football, and I'm here for it, and I will tell you why. But let's start with this. The number one recruit in the country, Travis Hunter, decided to sign with Jackson State, okay? Travis Hunter became the number one recruit after Quinn Ewers reclassified. You'll know this. But look at this, is, look at this man. He can play both ways. He's a Charles Woodson type, all right? When you watch this man play football, there's one play in particular that I need you to see where you just be like, oh, yeah, I get it now. He's 7-Eleven. He's always open. Look at this child. Just Oh, my God. You see him go up and get that. That's ridiculous. And 
he's looking. He's pointing, saying, see, I'm down. I'm in here. I'm in here. Now, nah, I'm here for Travis Hunter, who also on Tuesday decided to try to shift the spotlight back to HBCUs, talking about, hey, where are my grants at? Where, look at the back. Okay, yeah. Hey, he signed with Deion Sanders, who is not just prime time, but the best cornerback of all time. And I love what Dion had to say about securing the commitment and flipping it from, all, from Florida State, which, by the way, is not his alma mater. I'll get there in a second. He said, no, we didn't flip Travis Hunter. We just came to get what was ours. Yo! Like, that's, that's the energy I want from Coach Pride. That's the whole energy. Bottle that. Chug it. Go need it to get us through. Right? But... Y'all should also know Deion Sanders. I don't, I don't, he didn't graduate from Florida State. He graduated from Talladega? Yeah, Talladega, not Tougaloo. I almost put that man in Tougaloo. Man, Talladega fans going to be so upset with me. Now, he used all that energy that he got from being the greatest of all time in the NFL to becoming a pretty doggone good offensive coordinator in high school, taking over head coach Jackson State, and then went to recruiting because he is Coach Prime. So at Jackson State, 2021 they finished 11 and 2 but here's what I think you need to know they had 12 power five transfers in his first season at Jackson State nine of those were from the vaunted SEC all right eight of those were blue chip recruits four stars five stars better one of those James Houston already got a uh, got a nickname of the problem by the way HBCU football invented great nicknames we got Dr. Doom and Robert Brazil, man, I keep going on here. Look, Coach Prime even goes by that, right? Depending on what function of my job I'm doing, I might call him Coach Prime. I might call him Coach Sanders. I might call him Deion Sanders. But everybody knows what I'm talking about and when I'm talking about it, okay? So they won the SWAC championship, which means they play in the Celebration Bowl against the MEAC champion. Now, the Celebration Bowl is the de facto Black College Football National Championship game, okay? It has functioned like this since 2015. Jack State got raped by South Carolina State in the Celebration Bowl. Came in there 11-1, left 11-2, handed the National Championship to a 7-5. Bulldogs team coached by a legend, quite honestly, in Buddy Poe. South Carolina State wins its first National Championship since 2009. And what was believed to be its first championships, uh, outright championship since 1981, forcing red, red zone turnovers out of Shadour Sanders, even though it didn't seem like that offense was doing much of anything in the first half. Now, this game means a million dollars to each one of those conferences, the MEAC and the SWAC, South, Southwest Athletic Conference, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, okay? That's a lot of money for both of those conferences, and because they're contractually obligated to play in this game, that means the two best teams in black college football, HBU, HBCU football, will not play in the FCS playoffs. So the second team in each one of those conferences might get an at-large berth to the FCS playoff. Okay, this year, that was Florida A&M. And this is where it's going to get a little bit dicey. So, Florida A&M and Jackson State played in the Orange Blossom Classic. Not to get too far into the weeds here, but it's one of the great bowl games of HBCU football of all time. The Orange Blossom Classic is, is a thing. But it doubles this year as a SWAC conference game, which is interesting because Florida A&M, until this year, had been a member of the MEAC. Okay? 
joining the SWAC, where I would argue they should have always been in the SWAC, but that's neither here nor there. They're playing a de facto conference, not a de facto, a conference game against Jackson State. They lost that game 7-6, okay? Jackson State beat Florida A&M 7-6. Willie Simmons and them hold that L. Later on in the year, Florida A&M plays South Carolina State in a non-conference game, and they beat the hell out of South Carolina State, okay? Florida A&M finishes the season 9-3. They got a berth to the FCS playoffs. They got beat. They're done. All right. Now we get Jackson State in this championship game against South Carolina State, looking to win a Black College Football National Championship. They lose. South Carolina State won the Black College Football National Championship. The next day, Florida A&M announces on its social accounts that it has won a national championship. How, you might ask? It's a good question. It's a really good question. So the NCAA put up an article where it did its final power rankings for HBCU football, for black college football. And at the top, it had Florida A&M, mostly on the strength of South Carolina finished 7-5 and Jackson State losing South Carolina. At the bottom of that article, the NCAA is like, look, this is our opinion. It's not like official or anything. Not to Florida A&M. Fam, you said, nah, this is it. This is what we need. This puts us over the top. Now, make sure I'm going to get this right. Florida A&M claims a national title off the strength of the power ranking by the NCAA and a regular season win against South Carolina State. Has a better record than South Carolina State and beat the team that beat Jackson State who beat them. Okay. So, SC State won the Black College Football National Championship, but FAMU believes it's the best team in black college football in the regular season. They're arguing to be the co-champs off the strength of this. Now, for those of y'all that are familiar with PWIs, you might say, sounds real Texas A&M-ish. Sounds real 1945 Oklahoma State-ish. Well, in black college football, we would tell you, it actually happened again in 2019 when NCA&T and FAMU both claim the national championship. Now, NCA&T, North Carolina A&T, and Hampton left the MEAC to join the Big South Conference. Okay. NCANT played Big South football this year, so they're not in the MEAC, so they can't, you know, rep the MEAC. Now, what's interesting about that is NCANT had won like four out of the last six black college football national championships. In 2019, they won the Celebration Bowl. But FAMU finished with a record that let them believe, hey, we would have been in the Celebration Bowl if we had not self-imposed a bowl ban. Because they had a better record, but because of NCAA infractions, they self-imposed a bowl ban, so NCANT got that spot. They claimed the national championship. But I'm saying, if 2012 Ohio State, who went undefeated in a year where FAMU had a loss, by the way, 2019, can't claim a national championship... Neither can y'all for the same reasons. Postseason bowl ban. You got to respect it. You can't, you can't claim one off of this. But you know what? I'm here for the spice. You know why I'm here for the spice? You know why I'm here, why I'm here for the tea? You know why I've laid this all out for you? Because this week was a monster win for HBCU football, for black college football. Because people care, right? In a way that they hadn't cared 
even two years ago. We got Eddie George at Tennessee State, right, which plays in Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference, another non-HBCU football conference. But still, it's Eddie George, right? It's one of the greatest of all time. We got Deion Sanders coaching Jackson State. We got Willie Simmons and them on the four-letter network, ESPN, doing their own docuseries, right? We have this consternation over who can and can't claim a national championship. We got Buddy Poe in South Carolina State getting right for the first time since I was in college. We have a dispute over the 1981 <laughs> term of outright. I got to do a Twitter fight over the use of outright in <laughs> South Carolina State because it matters now. People are going, okay, why didn't Jackson State play in the FCS playoffs? And then I'm putting you on game. People are going, okay, why isn't NCANT or Hampton playing in the MEAC? Because they wanted bigger and better things. Okay, you're getting educated about some things that you perhaps didn't even know existed, which harkens back to 2020 in a lot of ways, right? And I'm here for that. I'm here for HBCU football because in the modern era of the game, it's been really difficult to compete because it's the FCS sport now Basically, when the NCAA forced people to determine between Division I, Division I, AA, most of the HBCUs, all the HBCUs, took the FCS route because that was guaranteed money, right? At the time, you weren't guaranteed money if you didn't play on television, okay? And, and nobody is going to tell you that Jackson State or FAMU is going to compete with Ohio State for television. They're just not going to. So you took that because you want to keep your football program going and you want to keep your traditions because between 1940s and the 1970s, HBCU football was putting out some monsters in pro football, right? Like Walter Payton, Robert Brazil, we can keep going. Like 17 of the 22 starters for the 1969 Kansas City Chiefs that won the Super Bowl were from HBCUs, okay? The Buck Buchanan Award, which names the best defensive player in FCS, is named for a grambling football player. You get what I'm going here? The Freshman of the Year Award is named for Jerry Wright, who played at Mississippi Valley State, right? With the Satellite Express, where he and Willie Totten were putting up 40 a game and 600 a game? Yes, you get where I'm going here. I'm glad that we could talk about these things. I'm glad these things resonate. I'm glad these things are modern. I'm glad these things fit into a show that I'm doing for a broad and contemporary audience. It's making moves. And I'm going to be here for that because we deserve it. We deserve to see more FCS football. We deserve to see more Power 5 football for that matter. And we're at a time when... Deion Sanders, Travis Hunter, and the like are using their platform and their eyeballs to direct it back to the things that they believe matter. Okay? I choose to tip a cap to that. I choose to not ignore that. And it seems that neither are you because it's not just a five-star that went to Jackson State. It's the number one player in the country. Now, you can make an argument about Quinn Ewers if you want to, but you missed the point. You missed the point of any five-star choosing out of high school to go to an HBCU. Now, my only question to y'all is what you going to do when Arch Manning commits to an HBCU? It ain't happening, but wouldn't it be cool if it did? That is our show for today. I'm going to tell you we're going to take next week off. We'll be back for a live reaction show following the college football playoff semifinals between Michigan and Georgia in the Orange Bowl, Alabama and Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. I'm excited about that. Shout out to our intrepid producer, Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Tyler Wojak is helping with all things that have to do with this show. Javion Duncan is our social media manager. And I'm the host of this, the number one ranked show, sponsored by DirecTV Stream. We'll see y'all.
in a little over a week and a half. Deuces.